Smuggling Hope, Episode 16, Your Overheating Brain. A young couple go out to eat at a local restaurant. The wife sits down and orders her, her food from the menu, and then her husband looks at the menu and he orders his food as well. Then he excuses himself and goes to the restroom. You know, then approximately two hours go by as the woman finishes her meal. Finally, her husband shows back up at the table and looks like he had jumped in the river. He is absolutely, completely soaking wet. They both shrug. He pays for both her meal and his meal, and they leave in an awkward fashion. That man was Howard Hughes. For two hours, he had been stuck in the bathroom. He had been unable to touch the doorknob of that bathroom, and he had waited for some um, polite stranger to open it so he could finally leave the bathroom. All of the washing, all of the avoiding, he had kept him away from his wife, his meal, his sanity, and it would eventually consume him. You know, going through two wives in his life, Howard Hughes would later uh, die after 20 years in, in essentially social exile, known by the world as an, an eccentric billionaire. Um, and in many ways, he found virtually no enjoyment uh, in his life. And people did not understand what he is experiencing, but we now call it you know, OCD. But many people you know, saw him as odd you know, or having, having very, very bizarre fixations. But that is an extreme case. Howard Hughes is probably one of the most extreme cases that we know of in terms of OCD behaviors. Again, he went through two marriages. You know, some of the, the things that he did were very odd. You know, even though he was obsessed with his wives, oftentimes he could not see them, would not look at them, would have people stalk them, um, you know, correspond in the most bizarre ways. Um, because the OCD started to consume his life and, and got rid of his experience of freedom. The, the crazy part is, is that, you know, Howard Hughes is you know, an extreme example, but about 85% of the population will experience some variation of OCD type of experience. Now, it sounds ridiculous maybe to many people, because I think a lot of us have this preconceived notion that OCD is, you know, uh, you know, like Howard Hughes, like these rumors that he collected bottles of his own urine or, you know, that you've got to organize everything or you have to have things on a certain television station or you have to avoid certain experiences or you know, whatever these fixations are. But, you know, those aren't always the case. And, and frankly, many of the compulsions that people have are easily hidden. And that's why many of us kind of, they go unnoticed. And honestly, OCD does not necessarily disrupt people's functioning altogether. Howard Hughes, again, uh, you know, a very extreme example. Um, but I want to go through this today with you and give you kind of a, a different perspective on how you can manage this. Should you experience it or should your children experience it, especially as they enter eight, nine, 10 puberty years uh, of childhood into adolescence? So, like I said, this is an umbrella term, right? OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. And it is a marketed thing. So it's super important that we understand that, like I said, our world, especially in the West, 
is all about turning people into the perfect consumer. Everything in the diagnostic and statistical manuals of mental disorders has to do with turning you into the world's best consumer, okay? And so I always kind of, uh, you know, put that out there for people because it's very hard sometimes, especially in America where I live, to get access to resources um, that are not uh, medically funded by pharmaceutical drug companies. Um, Interesting thing with uh, OCD. OCD itself can in many ways be, uh, the, the symptoms can be reduced oftentimes with SSRIs, which are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, but they don't actually know why it's, it, it affects the, uh, you know, the uh, experience, but it, because it is a, an, a, an electrical problem of the brain, for the most part, it is the way the brain is patterned. You can't necessarily take a medication to get rid of it and extinguish it, but there are other things you can do. Um, so I'm going to break that down for you today. So first thing I want to kind of understand, like the, the, the levels of this umbrella and how it works, right? So at the core, OCD has a lot to do with inflammation of the brain, the body and the brain, right? So this is found across all places, all countries, all, all persons. For the most part, there's some variation of OCD types of behavior. But many of the things we don't recognize as a, a, an obsessive experience or a compulsive experience periodically, right? So you may have a compulsive experience and an obsession to bite your fingernails. You might have a, you know, an obsessional experience when you have a, a night of insomnia. With insomnia, like your brain, essentially you wake up and for whatever reason, maybe you have a fever, maybe something didn't sit well, maybe your insulin crashed and now you woke up, but now your mind is inflamed and all of the blood in your brain, and again, this is a similar uh, you know, pattern um, with people across you know, the spectrum as we'll go through it, where the blood gets stuck upstairs where your frontal cortex is where you make decisions. The blood in the brain gets stuck there. That means there's less blood downstairs. You know, sleep, um, hunger cues, thirst cues, um, emotional regulation, all the, there's not as much blood there. There's not as much of a conditioning of the neurological network of the lower structures of the brain now because there's less blood going there. And so now the mind starts to overheat. Hence the title of the podcast today, like the over your, your overheating brain, right? The brain literally starts to overheat and get stuck in drive. And now uh, in the case of insomnia, I, I, I wake up and I'm like, I want to sleep. I want to sleep. And, but I'm using my frontal cortex. I'm using the higher part of my brain to try to turn on a, 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 um, a, a neurological event, you know, in this case, sleep. But sleep is located at the base of the brain right? So what happens is I can't sleep. So I become obsessed, obsessed with, 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 uh, you know, my inability to sleep. And now because of that, I can't sleep at all. And now three hours, four hours, five hours, I can't sleep. And so again, some people get into the habit of that. And if you, if you are a person who sleeps poorly, you will have more obsessive experiences. The better you sleep, the more relaxed your brain is and the less intense these obsessional experiences are. And, you know, again, so you can have insomnia, even addiction, addiction for the most part, you know, it is an obsessive behavior, right? You want to do a behavior obsessively, then compulsively, whether it's drinking, gambling, smoking, you name it. You know, you can do this with, with, you know, purchasing things. People become obsessed with things. You see, and again, 
we use these terms lightly, but you have to understand there is a reality to the pattern of the mind. And again, this umbrella, it is pretty huge. Not everybody is going for treatment. Okay. Most of the people who are very, um, uh, successful in life, a lot of them struggle with some variation of these things. They're your surgeon, they're your restaurateur, they're your uh, financial uh, advisor, they are your 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 you know your doctor, your your dentist, your your accountant. These people you know teach your kids, and these behaviors or these compulsions that people uh, you know uh, you know stereotypically think those aren't really what what they are. Again, oftentimes they're they're hidden. They're things nobody knows about, you know. So I think we have to be aware of that, that we are around many people, ourselves included. And many of the people who are going to listen to this, you're going to see yourself, I would hope, uh, in the fact that maybe some of these things that you've struggled with, well, this is maybe a, try to give it a name, you know, uh, and we'll talk about, you know, why that is so that we can get control. Have you ever wondered what the leading cause of divorce is? It's not addiction, infidelity, lack of intimacy, or incompatibility. It's actually criticism. Criticism underlies all the behaviors that lead to divorce. Criticism kills connection between married couples. If you want to learn ways to stop criticizing and start connecting with your spouse, check out heartsrenewed.org for dynamic exercises on how to shape new conversations with your spouse that will give you the kind of marriage you signed up for all from the comfort of your home. So one of the, f- the first things you want to do, uh, again, is uh, in a core way is really if, if you experience this or somebody you know experiences this, make sure you clean up your diet. Make sure that you've reduced processed foods and anything that has been identified as inflammatory to you. So I say inflammatory to you because there are many things that are not inflammatory to other people that that don't inflame other people. But if you know you can't process dairy well or you know that you have one of these gluten issues that people are having, because again, in the West, in the United States of America, our food essentially poisons us. Uh, it doesn't mean all foods are bad. It just means that there is high levels of inflammation markers and poisons and toxins in our foods that we ingest, that our kids ingest, that didn't exist a long time ago. And those uh, things, if we consume them, they can throw off and affect our thyroid and different com- uh, you know, components, right? And so you want to make sure you clean up your diet. You want to make sure that you stabilize your blood sugar. And that may mean that you have to consume more protein and fat, especially with young kids. If you have a kid that has these experiences, you know, they, they, you know sometimes pediatricians will call them pandas, you know, these things that, uh, you know, it's a, a slang term, I guess, right now um, for these overnight experiences of OCD. The kid wakes up and they are afraid of maybe they have a body sensitivity. Maybe they are hitting themselves. Maybe they're raging out or whatever it is. Well, for whatever reason, the child is having some kind of inflammation, right? Some There is like literally an interior. It could be that they have an infection that we don't know about. It could be that they're, they're, there's a hormonal imbalance. We don't know. But something happened to the child. But we want to make sure that we have enough protein and fat, that the blood sugar is stable. We want to make sure that if you have a doctor, that you've talked to your doctor, if you're having these obsessions where you're thinking about things and you don't want to think about them and it makes you more uncomfortable and upsetting, right? You know, this whole idea that, you know, you're, you know, you, you know that, that you just can't not think about certain things. You might find that you don't want to get rid of certain things. You need to keep certain things. You might feel sensations in your body that bother you, right? Jelly legs is one. 
you know, people will experience. If you don't know what I mean, you don't have it, don't worry. Um, you know, but there's a whole lot of different experiences that people can have that, that, that are part of this uh, spectrum of, of OCD types of stuff. And so if you have a doctor, though, make sure that the doctor does a blood panel for you and that you rule out any thyroid issues, Hashimoto's you know, you know, you know, uh, um, disease, that, that kind of stuff, because that really does have a really big uh, indication, right? Um, also check your posture, right? Because your posture, the, 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 believe it or not, your serotonin flows more easily when your spine is straight, your shoulders are back, your chest is out. If you are, or your child is a person who crumples up or you're bent over or your head is down all the time, for whatever reason, on your phone, on your tablet, serotonin will slow down. And like what we do know about this OCD stuff is these obsessions and things they seem to uh, be less intense when we have enough serotonin because serotonin, our neurological system, is serotonergically built, meaning that our brain communicates to the structures of the body through serotonin. That's why they figure if they give people pills that are going to make their, their body filled with serotonin or back up, so to speak, overloaded with serotonin, well, they'll, they'll you know, somehow function better. But, you know, again, if yours, if you're crumpled up, if you're bent, if your head is bent, if your spine is bent, if your posture is bad, you're going to struggle with easy flow of serotonin. So it's a simple way to kind of improve it, right? But check and rule out any kind of thyroid issues. Make sure you stabilize the blood sugar and make sure that you clean up your sleep, right? Because if you miss your sleep, you're going to start to have higher and higher levels of inflammation. Your blood will be acidic in state, um, which is usually a good indication that your body's under physical stress. And, and again, like for a lot of people, infection, uh, if your blood is acidic, what that means essentially is that your body is fighting a low level of infection. And you don't really want to have your body in a state where it's always in a low level of infection because now you're more prone to autoimmune conditions. You're going to be more conditioned to, to experience more pain or fibromyalgia or these things. Because again, they don't know what causes fibromyalgia, right? But again, put on the TV. And again, I'm not saying that this stuff is made up, but I'm saying that these conditions, again, you know, we, instead of instead of treating things, or I shouldn't say it, instead of helping people to kind of, um, you know, um, you know, uh, take care of their bodies and, you know, anticipate getting ill and being healthy, we just treat everybody. There, there is no prevention in, in, in the West. It doesn't seem like there's just all treatment. Take this pill for fibromyalgia. That has 15 other side effects that will just shorten your life by 20 years, you know, and, and make you a little neurotic about that, right? So, again, and I'm not against medication. I would give my left hand for certain people to take it. But medication, unfortunately, has a 50% compliance rate across the board, meaning that most people, at least half the, half the people, you know, they don't take medication. They don't want to take something. Um, and even when we give it to them, you know, for things like diabetes or high blood pressure, we, they still don't take it. Um, you know, it's not psychotropic medication. It's all medication. So first thing is to really regulate the blood sugar. So we remove inflammatory foods. We, we reduce any stress in the body. We assess whether or not there is some level of infection or uh, you know, some kind of a biological factor. Again, make sure that your doctor does a panel for your thyroid. I've had people that their doctors just didn't even 
care. They they had irregular thyroid numbers, and their doctors just you know you know just didn't recognize it, didn't care, or they have a family history of thyroid conditions, right? And again, you can manage thyroid conditions like you know in non medical ways. It's very um, difficult sometimes to get that information stateside because well again, if you've got a condition, we've got a pill for it. But if you uh, want you know access to other ways of treatment. Definitely got to dig that up or get in, in, you know, in touch with people in that community of natural path and all of that. But uh, make sure you, you rule out any medical things. Second thing is to regulate sleep because, like I said, the more that you, your sleep is impaired, the more that you're likely to have inflammation in the body and in the mind. And we're just going to have problems with, uh, again, more uh, uh, intrusive thoughts. So you could have uh, intrusive thoughts of death or images you know, I mean, it's not uncommon for people like, you know, that have these experiences. Sometimes we have intrusive thoughts, uh, uh, you know, that are very grotesque or upsetting. That's uh, still on the same spectrum for the OCD, right? That you're going to do something terrible. You know, um, years ago, I, I knew a gentleman who would always sleep with his hands under his pillows. That was his compulsion. And the reason why he slept with his hands under his pillows was because he had this obsession that he would wake up and strangle his wife in the night. So he needed to make sure his hands were put under the pillow that that was going to keep everything in check. Now he would never hurt his wife. That was never the, the issue, right? He would never hurt his wife. He would never do these things, but he was obsessed with these things and he was compulsed then to put his hands under the pillow. So, and maybe I need to take a break from, from this discussion just to break down what the difference is between an obsession is and a compulsion. An obsession is an unwanted thought or a feeling um, you know, oftentimes they're, they're connected and an obsession is something that you, you do not want. And even though you try to not think about it or try to not focus on it, it continues to be there and actually trying to focus on it makes it get worse. Oftentimes the compulsion is the behavioral component. You feel compulsed to call a friend. You feel compulsed to go to confession in the case of scrupulosity and scrupulosity is under that spectrum as well. The spectrum of OCD types of behaviors. I, I need to go to confession. I might be in mortal sin. Well, if there's doubt, you're not in mortal sin, ironically, right? If you're in doubt, it means somewhere along the way, your freedom is reduced. And again, um, you know, there's, there's something impairing your ability to uh, uh, have clarity over your behaviors. But uh, compulsions are the behavioral component. I, I have to check the door. I have to, you know, drink this extra glass of water. I have to wash my hands. And some of these things are, um, you know, very, uh, very uh, slight and very small. Some of them are very, uh, you know, disruptive in the case of Howard Hughes. Remember, the thing about OCD is if it gets fed and it always wants to be fed, it grows. It grows and it will take over um, if, if, you, if, if you let it. Now, the, the second thing, right, so for, you know, for a lot of people, like what we saw during COVID was many people either got the injections, right, or they had COVID, right, and COVID, whether you took an injection or you got the, uh, you know, COVID virus, different variants, th those things thicken the blood and, and they also created a level of infection, right, so we saw a spike in the OCD types of experiences in people. Um, you know, young, old people who never had any symptoms, right, or very mild or almost, you know, they, they never would have be, been recognized as having OCD types of stuff. But now all of a sudden they became very obsessed with how they felt physically or they became very concerned about their health or they became very fixated on the health of their family 
or they couldn't leave their house and became agoraphobic. A lot of the stuff that happened during the COVID lockdowns um, was a perfect, uh, perfect recipe for the onset or the evolution of people's OCD, right? And one of the things that uh, you know, you know, really made it disruptive was number one, people were cut off of routine, and so there was large blocks of time where they had to make decisions, and the need to make so many decisions makes the mind stressed out, right? So more decisions means more stress, okay? And so if you had a job, but now the job was moved to home or you were laid off, well, you had blocks of time that were unaccounted for. And so in that empty space, you had to decide what you were going to do and in what order. And that just made people very upset. Also, they, they were cut off from their normal places of routine. They couldn't go to their gym. They couldn't go to their mosque, their temple, their church. They couldn't go to the sacraments. You know, people couldn't go to their office and see people from work. They couldn't see their families. And so all of these things that were not there, like that were taken from them, th these things made people have to keep thinking and thinking and thinking. And so quickly, many people's minds began to get overheated. And so people couldn't sleep. And so their symptoms uh, would get worse. And some people developed what we would call, um, uh, you know, pure O depression, and the O stands for uh, obsession, right? So an obsessional form of depression where they ruminate on everything, which usually is brought on by like long periods of not being able to sleep properly, right? Again, sleep is a huge impact on your mental health. It is one of the first signs that your mental health is deteriorating if you're not sleeping properly. And I'm going to do another show on depression alone because it's it's its own kind of animal. But OCD, you know, again, like, you know, with the COVID lockdowns, when we remove the structure of people's daily life, when we remove routine and we remove what to expect, people now are very agitated and now their brains are overheating because they have to make more decisions. So if we're trying to help reduce the, the stress on the mind, we have to remove decisions. Fewer decisions mean you know, less stress. And so if you think about the way that the brain handles this a lot of times is it, it kind of tries to create its own routine by flaring up these compulsive behaviors because it doesn't know what to do. And so it starts like a compulsive uh, experience, right? So in the case of, let's say, a sexual thing, you know, a sexual sin or a um, overeating behavior, these, these pleasurable things that people get into. Remember, all the blood has gone upstairs where the thinking is, thinking about what they're going to do, you know, with work. What are they going to do with their kids that they're parenting? How are they going to improve their relationship? How are they going to find work? They're just solving these problems, right? And that's upstairs. All the blood goes upstairs. But remember, their impulse control and regulation, which is down below, their, their hippocampus, which controls their emotional regulation and impulse control. And then lower than that is their amygdala, which is the center that tells you about, you know, how to regulate or, you know, the, the, you know, the cues for hunger, thirst, sex, aggression, all that that's down below. Well, the brain wants to get the blood through all the chambers of the brain, right? So what's one way to do that is to, you know, really to, you know, have that, that impulse, right? To do a behavior puts you back in the body. So people are acting out sexually or people are acting out with drugs or people are acting out by cutting themselves or people are, you know, so you see a lot of these, these, these destructive habits or overeating because, and we don't eat just to feel full. We eat so we feel sick, right? And now we're binging and purging, right? But those behaviors, you know, are the, the brain's way of kind of like resetting and taking the stress off the mind and putting blood through the whole, the whole chamber, all the chambers of the brain. And so, 
you know, one way we can kind of reduce that again is to create more structure outside, right? You know, to give ourselves a schedule to know what we're going to do. But schedules and structures can make us obsessional too. We can have like, you know, some people are fixated on everything down to the minute. But but some version of structure is is helpful, right? And especially if the structure provides you with opportunities for novelty and growth, something that's going to challenge you. Because it's really important that your mind have a direction and that the direction not be negative. A lot of times when people manage a lot of this stuff and why it doesn't get better the way that they want, or sometimes it takes way longer, or they end up in lifetime therapy is because essentially they're not actually developing something. Instead, they're treating a hole, like a hole, like H-O-L-E. They've created a, a fixation on a symptom. And the symptom itself becomes almost like a trance, like they, they ruminate on, you know, these thought processes. And, and that doesn't work because they never leave the neuro circuit. And so it's helpful if your structure, your daily life includes something that helps you to feel confident and is a skill or something that is challenging. So when people, you know, they learn a new, new craft or they go to a new job, and oftentimes people that struggle with this stuff are very intelligent, so they learn things quickly. Um, and so, you know, once you do that, though, that helps to take pressure off the mind and, and it restores the brain oftentimes a little bit to balance because now we have confidence. We learn the guitar. Learning the guitar is actually a lot easier than turning off your overheating brain and getting, you know, trying to turn off obsessions because you do not control the obsessions and you can't by their nature. And you don't, you don't control the compulsions either. The more you try to control them, the worse they will get for reasons we'll discuss in a minute. Hi, it's Dan. I'm the host of Smuggling Hope and also the founder of Hearts Renewed, which is an online marriage coaching program for Catholic married couples. On the September the 12th from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I'm going to be doing a free webinar on five habits to dynamically transform your marriage. So if you want access to that free webinar, click the link in today's episode and sign up. It's going to be a great time and those five habits can really make a difference in your marriage. So if you're interested, sign up today. Thanks. And now back to the show. So key, key rule here is it's actually easier neurologically to start a new habit or a positive habit than it is to break an old one or a bad one. Okay. So a lot of people are always trying to focus on breaking bad habits and obsessions are and compulsions are by their nature usually you know, bad habits, or at least unwanted for most people. And so we have to take our neurological currency, right, the amount of attention we have, and we want to try to spend that attention on the things that are going to be worthwhile. So to try to build new habits that give us confidence, rather than trying to root out all the time, getting rid of these obsessions, because believe it or not, like I said, like the more you focus on them, even though you're trying to get rid of them, oftentimes you can get very, very stuck. So it's important that you are engaged at some level in confidence building habits so that your mind um, can be relaxed so you can do some of the work to extinguish the OCD stuff. Now, how do we extinguish OCD? Well, you know, uh, it's different for everybody, honestly, to be quite honest. There are many young people that I've met over the years. They've had um, variations of OCD. Some of it is brought on because of puberty, biological stuff, because different parts of the brain are growing at different rates. You know, you'll see children as young as four or five or even younger, three, 
maybe like that are um, oppositionally defiant, yelling, screaming, hitting themselves, doing bizarre behaviors that upset their parents. Those kids usually are having some kind of obsessional experience, but they're not able to uh, have the verbal uh, ability to communicate it. So they just say no, or they just hit, or they bite, or they do things. And so, you know, um, and they, many of them grow out of it, right? Many of these people grow out of it. Um, one of the, you know, you know, the, the big things is that this stuff just turns off for a lot of young people that have these, uh, scruples or these obsessions, they, they get turned off, but for some of us, they stick around or they mutate, or they are just, uh, sometimes a, a side effect of, you know, some of the very, uh, intellectual giftednesses that people have. And so there are really three steps that I usually, uh, I go through with people. I encourage people to, um, you know, maybe experiment with this. And it's not the only three steps that exist, but I, I find that in general, when I pull from all the strategies for OCD stuff, these three components show up in a general way. They may call them different, but they seem to show up. Um, so the first thing, the first of the three steps is, is number one, to relabel the experience. You have to give it a name language has power. When you use language, it activates a certain part of your brain. If you say that you are anxious, which I think almost 85 to 90% of the people who come to see me initially say that they are, they say, well, I'm just very anxious. Well, I mean, they are, they, they do get anxious, but that's not their primary issue. What's really going on is they have this overheating brain. And the side effect of that is that since they're not being able to pay attention, they're not present, they're with these obsessions, they're constantly in a state of anxiety because they're not present. They're in the future. They're worried about different things happening or having to deal with them or anticipate them. But if we give it a name, we can separate ourselves and start to observe the neurological circuit that the OCD like rests on, if that makes sense. And so, no, I'm not going to be saying like, I'm, I'm anxious. It'll say that, you know, I have to separate it with language. This isn't me. This is a temptation. This isn't me. This is OCD. This isn't me. This is my overheating brain, but I have to give it a name. It can be ridiculous. It can be, you know, off clinical. It can be, it doesn't matter. The big thing though, is that you can recognize it and start to separate yourself from it. Because if the problem lies in you, you can't remove it or extinguish it. Okay. And this is a process that we would call neurocognitive reprogramming, where we're activating and refocusing the way that the neurons fire together. Right. So, um, that's the first part, right? You have to give it a name. I can't give it a name for you. You can use OCD or obsessions, but that sometimes upsets people because it's a diagnostic that has its own agenda. You know, I mean, some people, you know, get nervous that it's going to mean other things. And so it's a lot easier to call it something more mundane, you know, like Ted or whatever it is, right? It's not me, it's Ted, you know, maybe Ted was their old gym teacher who was a creep. I have no idea. My apologies to everybody out there named Ted that I just used, but you, you can call it whatever you want. It's the importance is the separation. So it's not me. It's this. It's my stinking thinking. It's my overheating brain. It's my OCD. But you are not the problem. Okay. And again, this is the same way we start to, you know, there's a parallel here. It's the same way that we manage uh, to get through um, temptations, right? You have to call it a temptation. If you are the temptation, you will fall every time into it. You have to be able to stop the enemy at the gates. So that's the first step. Relabel it. Second step is to stop analyzing it. It's to stop trying to figure out why it's happening. This is just what an obsession is. This is how, this is what it feels like. And so for many people, it's good for them to recognize when they're in charge of their mind, 
What are the signs they're in charge? Well, I'm relaxed. I can think clearly. I feel confident. I know I'm a good spouse. I, I feel positive about the future. I feel relaxed. Those are good signs. You need to write them down and remember them so that you know when you're present versus when your mind is overheating. And well, how do you know when the OCD is present? Well, because I can't think. I'm, I'm afraid. I don't want to do things. I'm avoiding people. I'm, I, I, feel, uh, I feel icky. I feel uncomfortable. I feel nervous. Well, that's a good sign. You know, if I'm coming from fear, right, that, that it's probably going to be the OCD. And again, that's the language I'm using for this conversation. I would not probably use that language um, with an actual client because the language, like I said, it has power and it has to usually be my client's language, not mine, because uh, they, they navigate their own landscape mentally. I don't have all of their, I, I don't know all of their language. So second step, do not analyze. Now what's happening though, so if you just so you understand, so go back to the brain. If you're having an obsession and you ask yourself, why is this happening? Remember, all of your blood immediately starts to move more quickly upstairs again to the frontal cortex, which then is going to make you overheat and it's going to make you more obsessive. And then you're going to be like uh, more likely to do compulsive things or say things compulsively or get very uncomfortable. Um, and so, you know, that is, uh, you know, one of those uh, things you need to be watching out for. So when we don't analyze, we don't make the blood go upstairs. We don't reset the whole system of OCD. We don't, re, 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 you know, restart the whole process. So what are we going to do instead? Well, we don't ask why. We start to refocus the mind. And so this is you know, the third step is to refocus the mind away, away from the obsession or the compulsion. But we want to operate constructively in the body. Right. So, for instance, if I am having an obsession, right, to, uh, you know, you know, you know, at one point I had an obsession that I was forgetting my briefcase, um, I would um, you know, have to drive out to Albany and I would get obsessed that uh, there was something missing. Maybe it was a presentation um, or my flash drive. Something was going to be missing in my briefcase and I would get very like worried, very obsessed about it. Um, and I would have to pull over. I literally pulled over a, a multitude of times at one point, um, you know, uh, because like I wanted to check, you know, how many times can you check? You got, that's a, that's a pretty significant thing, dude. If you're having a check on the side of the road, your same briefcase didn't change. You were driving in 45 minutes, you know, it didn't change much. So instead of giving into that obsession or that compulsion to check the, uh, you know, uh, that experience of the, you know, um, uh, you know, the briefcase, you know, we got to realize, well, this isn't me. This is an obsession and I'm going to not analyze it. This, this was what an obsession is, but it is uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. And that's why you almost feel like you have to do the behavior. You have to pull over the car. You have to wash your hands. You have to do whatever. But instead, what I would do is I would call somebody. I would usually call a client or sometimes I call a family member or I call, uh, you know, somebody else when I was on the road because it would get me back into my body, but it would get my mind away. And some people would say that that's just distracting. But the thing is, is it's not distracting because it's deliberate and it's really to focus the mind. It's to focus the mind back to a constructive task that is not, so we're using a different neuro circuit, Right. You know, it's, it's, it's as if the mind is getting like active in a certain way, but we're not going to stay on that same neuro circuit. We're going to activate our auditory system and call somebody. Or we're going to put on a podcast or we're going to put on a uh, maybe we'll put on, uh, you know, different type of um, 
you know, uh, you know, a story on tape or whatever it is on audible, whatever you're going to do, but you're going to activate a different part of your mind and try to focus away and do something constructive. The more you use your body, the better it is, right? So, because once you're in your body, your mind starts to calm down. Um, and that's why, again, you'll see a lot of these self-harming behaviors or pleasurable behaviors, the things that activate the body, sex, pain, tattoos, cutting, drinking, drug use, whatever, they, they put us back in the body. Um, and that's why, like I said, you, you find many of us have compulsive behaviors, everything from biting your nails to buying stuff you don't need on Amazon. Like those are compulsive things. Now, are you going to be on medication for it? I, I don't necessarily think you probably are. Some people will choose to get medicated for it. And that may be actually what is most helpful to relax the mind, you know, so that you can do this work. But you have to refocus the mind back away from the compulsion and the obsession. And um, now one of the ways that I think is easy to do that, not I won't say easy to do that, but a way to kind of uh, make uh, work with this is when you're at home or wherever you work or wherever you experience stuff is to make a list of all the things that are very difficult for you to do in a general sense, right? Things you procrastinate, things you avoid doing, things that are genuinely difficult and make a list of them. Like maybe it's tidying up the basement, maybe it's going grocery shopping, making the bed, you know, clearing out your inbox. Don't know. Make a list of those things. And when the obsessions come, you go to the list and then you try to activate something on that list because you will not be able to get obsessive about things you don't like to do. People don't get obsessed with things they procrastinate. They actually have to be where their feet are when they're doing something uncomfortable, right? They, and that relaxes the brain. And it also will give you, little by little, more confidence back because now you're doing things that you've been avoiding doing, probably because you've been giving way too much attention to that, you know, uh, multiple-headed dragon of the OCD, right? Doing what it wants you to do, avoiding people, you know, taking, you know, you know, its time, you know, away from your family or being afraid of certain foods or certain sensations. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we want to give the mind a break. So again, if you can make a list of the things that would be good for you to do that are difficult and that you put off doing, because that's going to give your mind's attention to something that's going to give you confidence and challenge the mind. And it's also going to remove the neurological uh, activity or at least reduce the intensity of the neurological activity that could go to these obsessional things. Remember, these are patterns that exist. And if you've been doing them for a while, they can be you know, quite entrenched. But like anything, you know, you know, the way that we, the way that we operate with this type of uh, system of, of neurological patterns and, and behaviors is that we have to starve the attention. We have to recognize it's happening and then we have to starve the attention. You do not study it because if you study it, you will get lost in it forever, right? Just like I said, Howard Hughes, like kept giving into it, kept giving into it. And it took over his whole life. People are coming into his bedroom near the end of his life with sheets on their head, cutting up little sandwiches on, into triangles that were perfectly symmetrical. And that's how the man ate, right, for the last, like, 10, 20 years of his life. You know, he didn't even see people, you know. So, again, like, this stuff just continues. If it gets fed, it gets bigger. So we have to starve its attention. Starving its attention means knowing where you want to put your attention. You want to put your attention into things that are going to foster the identity that you do want. You're not a sick person. You're not an ill person. You're not even an anxious person because if you're those people, you have to do certain things. So you have to choose a different identity and you have to think about what are the habits that that person has and start to work towards those behaviors little by little. 
but make a list of things that are difficult and start doing those things when the mind gets overheated so that you can cool it off. Now, we could we could go on with the OCD conversation today for a very long time. We could go a mile deep into many things. But the last thing that I would say that can be very helpful, so again, like we talk about the structure, we talk about the bio, biological components, again, sleep becoming one of the key things and ruling out all medical issues, especially infections, thyroid conditions, hormone stuff, you know, regulating sleep. And we talk about creating structure. Now we talk about the pattern of, dis, you know, of um, in many ways dissolving and extinguishing the attentional pattern to the obsessions, right? Which means we have to give your mind a new focus. We have to enhance your confidence, right? We have to have you rebuild, right? What the what the OCD has eaten, and that means you have to come up with who you want to be. And again, this this key idea of what is your identity going to be. And you have to not stare at this anymore. So you have to let this go. So I encourage you to, to, to discuss these things. Think about where these things you know, fall in your life. Um, do not be discouraged. There is hope with all of these things. If you experience that, these things, you know, look for somebody who is skilled at this. This is its, its own uh, I guess, you know, it's, it's, it's own, um, you know, it's own beast, so to speak. You're going to need to, uh, know somebody who, um, or work with somebody who's familiar with this. This is not just an anxious thing and there's multiple, multiple perspectives, I'm sure. And there's multiple ways of dealing with it. You know, last but not least, if you or your child is experiencing this, make sure that you start paying attention to where the OCD is not active as much. Always go for the bright spots. Always go for the bright spots because it's not always active. It's not always happening. And that is something we miss, right? We always miss. Um, but I, I appreciate your your time and your continued audience with this. So keep sending me your uh, feedback and your questions. This was you know, one of the most um, requested topics. So I tried to spend a little bit of time with it today and we can continue to build off of it and I will do my best to answer follow-up questions on the back end of the podcast over the coming weeks. So shoot me those emails or those voice messages to the podcast. Take care. Now go out and smuggle some hope wherever you can. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Smuggling Hope. If you want to maximize the impact of the podcast you just listened to, try to find one thing that you thought was helpful and teach and share it with somebody in your life. When you teach and share what you've learned, it stays with you, and it helps to internalize what we've learned and get that seed to grow. I hope that the seeds of hope continue to grow in your life.